Hey everyone, uh, great to be with you again today, wherever you're watching from, just want to give you a huge welcome, whether you're watching from your home and you're one of the family church congregations, if you've joined our online community over this time and you're a part of our online church and uh, family, we want to welcome you. And if you're watching from one of the venues where our kids workers are doing incredible work uh, with the children, we just want to give you a massive welcome. And also, if you're catching up later on, if you're enjoying the sunshine out and about doing some things and you're watching later on, hey, however you're watching, we want to give you a massive welcome. It was so powerful last week that during the meeting, we I just heard that word from the Holy Spirit um, about sciatica. And even within the hour, somebody said, that the lump was gone and God supernaturally touched their body. I just believe this morning that the Lord's speaking iatus hernia, iatus hernia. I don't know too much about those things. So whether it's a hernia or a hiatus hernia, just believing right now that the Holy Spirit right now will touch your life and heal and mend and repair what needs to be healed, mended or repaired. So if that's you, you've had a hernia, uh, a hiatus hernia or something along that line. It's just that's what I'm hearing this morning. So we just speak miracles over your life. Father, would you heal that and every other thing that a person could be suffering? Also, I believe today somebody's recently been feeling like they're just withering. They're withering that the life I keep getting this image of a rose losing its petals and somebody's feeling today like they're just withering or they're losing the life that they once knew. Right now, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and touches your life. The life of God touches you afresh and takes you from feeling like you're withering to your flourishing. You know, the life within us is the life of God. And boy, when that's flowing through the branch of who we are, it turns withering to flourishing. It turns uh, graves into gardens. It turns things that seem like they're losing their life to come back to newness of life. So I just pray that over your life. And again, I keep seeing this image of a rose that's just kind of uh, losing its flowers in a jar. And that's how somebody feels this morning. But we just speak the life of God over you, healing over your body, in Jesus name. Listen, we're so excited to be in this new series that we've started that's simply called Commissioned and it's based on Matthew 28 and I want to read these verses to you today because we want to spend four weeks looking at the subject of commissioned, not as just another message or even a project but rather the culture of who we are at Family Church and as we begin to look together in Matthew 28 at these timeless verses that are just coming alive to me in a brand new, in a fresh way, in a vibrant way, it's not another message to be packed away at the end of the series. This is who we want to be. These are the things we want to be committed to. As we're coming out of lockdown, as we're gathering again together, this is our roadmap. This is our, our way forward that we see. This is what we believe the Lord's saying that we need to be so focused on. So we're not preaching today just another message, but rather something that's cultural to who we are as a church family. So let me read to you from Matthew 28 and I'll pick up in verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. Remember last week we said, let's always take the place of the worshipper and not the doubter. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is the key verse that we want to really focus in, zoom in on this next few weeks. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even 
to the end of the age. When we look at these commissional verses, it's very easy to concentrate on the go. And we concentrated last week on the go. And we said that we want to be, we want family church to be wherever we are, not just in our meetings, but in the culture of our lives and the culture of who we are as a body of believers to be an outward looking people. A people that aren't just self-absorbed, introspective, always looking at what we need, what the church should provide for us, what worship service should do for our lives. But rather, we're allowing the Lord as we respond to the Great Commission to turn our gaze outward. What about those who don't yet know him? What about those in our communities and those who live around our church buildings and the places that we gather? How can we reach into their worlds to be the hands and the feet, not just the voice of Jesus in their world? So we spent last week looking at the go of the Great Commission, how indeed it really is a go mission. It's a great go mission, outward looking, outward looking. That was our cry last week outward looking. That's who we want to be. But we also need to understand that when Jesus said go, there was a follow on to his go. He didn't just say go, because if you say to somebody go, they'll go and they'll be walking around not knowing what they went for. But rather Jesus said go and. We want to look at what he told us to do in our going. Go and make disciples. Now this is actually the key element, I believe, to the Great Commission. But Jesus says to us, go now into the world, dare to leave for church building, dare to leave for security, excuses, fears, apprehensions you may have known, and go, but don't just go, go and make disciples. So we're going to focus this week and next week on disciple making, because I really believe that the Lord is calling us, family church, to be a disciple making people. Now we can't be disciple makers unless we're going. We remain outward looking but in our outward looking our agenda and our intention isn't just to cause people to encounter Jesus but rather then to grow in him. Now we want to help people to encounter Jesus. In our going, in in whatever we do as a church in our outreaches and the lives that we daily live. Because remember, the church isn't a building. We have buildings. It's not a meeting. We have meetings. But the church is a community of people called out of darkness into his marvellous light. We're the church when we're together and we're the church when we're alone. We're the church when we're gathered and we're the church when we're scattered. But in who we are as a people, we want to be a disciple-making people. Now I'm going to talk about the entrance level of discipleship this morning but next week we're going to share some incredible exciting plans that we've got in Family Church for what discipleship and disciple making will look like in the future that we're now stepping into together. Now step one is we want to help people to encounter Jesus. We want to make it so easy for people not to encounter religion. People don't need religion. People don't need to have religion weigh them down heavier than what they're already experiencing life to be. We want people to be genuinely encountering Jesus. You know, Christianity is simply a walk 
with Jesus. I've been watching the great series that's available um, that you can get on an app at these times and it's called Chosen. And one of the things that's really been speaking to me from this series, if you've not not seen it, I really uh, recommend you catch up on it. But in this series Chosen, it really zooms in on the life of Jesus, but really picks up really well on his personality. That Jesus had a personality. And when people encountered Jesus, their lives were changed. But then they didn't just move on or go back to the life they'd known. They walked with him. And I was just sitting out in the garden this week, just sitting there, just praying, spending time talking to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I'm so thankful that I get to walk with you just as those first disciples did even though they worked walked with the physical Jesus and we know that Paul said later on we know him no longer according to the flesh or who he was when he walked the earth we still you and I still today walk with Jesus and have the opportunity to number one encounter him but then number two walk with him and know him deeper and deeper, better and better each and every passing day. Now, we want to be committed to bringing people to a point of the best word I can use is conversion. But suddenly the heart within them is converted. A heart that was away from God is converted to be a heart that now is towards God. Now, the heart of man is just away from God by natural birth. But when a person's born again, a transformation happens within them. There's suddenly a heart that was once anti-God or away from God. It's suddenly a heart that now delights in God and want to walk and wants to walk with God. Now, we thank God for that moment of salvation, that moment where we get to introduce a person to Jesus. There's a moment of conversion. Their heart is converted. Their heart is changed. There's a born again experience. They understand and encounter Jesus. Jesus for themselves. Like I said, we're not busy peddling religion. Man doesn't need any more religion. We are busy with an agenda to introduce people to the Jesus that can change their lives. But what happens then is we don't just leave them like babies born abandoned. We have a commitment to help them to move from their moment of conversion into being a disciple. What's a disciple? Well, it's a follower of Jesus, someone who's allowing Jesus to affect the way they live, affect the way they love, affect the way they think. Uh, To me, a good word for a disciple is a learner. But we're not just people who encounter Jesus. We experience a salvation moment, a conversion. We know our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And one day when we die, we're going to be in heaven with Jesus and then just get on with our life until that happens. No, we want to be like the people that we read about in the Gospels, that were real people like you and me that had a moment of conversion, a moment of encounter where they encountered Jesus for themselves. And in that moment, everything changed. But they didn't then go back to what they knew. They said, no, from this moment, we're going to be followers. We're going to be learners. We're going to spend our days walking with Jesus. And as we spend our days walking with Jesus, suddenly our lives will be changed into everything he caused us to to be when we were born again. You see, the thing that separates Christianity from every other false religion or cult 
is that we don't work by a works mentality. I had a wonderful interview last week and we've made it available on a number of different platforms. I interviewed a man who was raised a Muslim. He was actually training to be an imam. And that's like, uh, I suppose, a a pastor in the sense of uh, a Muslim context. But when I was talking to him, I asked him, what's the differences between Islam and being a Muslim, how you were raised, the theology of Islam and Christianity. Now, he had a powerful conversion where his life was changed in a moment. He encountered God and instantly God became his heavenly father. Now, if you know the theology of somebody that's been raised a Muslim, you never see God as father. He's Allah. He's God. There's no context of him being father. But instantly when this man was born again, he said out of the deepest parts of who he was, he said, God, you are my father father. He understood that Jesus was more than a prophet, that Jesus was the son of God and how the Holy Spirit comes to live in a person's life. He was radically transformed. But when I was talking to him, he was talking about how Islam is works based, that no one knows if they're going to heaven. It's all based on your doing. It's all based on works. That's what some Christians can be like. Also, sometimes the factory setting of who we are brings us if we walk away from the relationship of knowing Jesus intimately in our daily lives we can drift back into that old religious factory setting of what we do determines who we are what we do determines what happens next and that removes the context of grace and leaves us back in a place that we don't want to be called performance now the good news is but if you imagine, and we're going to open this up a little bit more next week, that our walk with the Lord is like a game of snakes and ladders. That um, our discipleship is understanding that there's a moment when we're born again. That's square one. That's spot one. And then there's an ascending in our life where we begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We begin to walk with him. We allow the Holy Spirit and the word of God to begin to transform us from the inside out. The new creation begins to breathe and begins to find itself in who we are in Christ. But the interesting thing is every other religion has a square one where you begin. And you live your life with the hope of attaining something at the end, square 100, if you like, on the board. And there's many ladders that can cause you to ascend and there's many snakes that can cause you to drop a few squares back down. But the good thing about Christianity is actually the moment that a person's born again, the moment a person encounters Jesus, the Bible says that they're instantly positioned in square 100. The Bible says that the moment a person's born again, they're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment a person's born again, the Bible says they're snatched from the old life, snatched and disconnected from an old nature. The Bible says that we're positioned and seated in Christ in heavenly places. So if you imagine with me, you're already at the finishing point, completed and perfected. Yet our life is spent becoming who we actually are. That's discipleship. That's being a learner. It's understanding that we don't achieve something at the end. That's false religions. That's other cults. The Bible says that a person who believes receives everything they're ever going to get from God in that moment where they believe in Jesus. And as the Bible would term it, are saved. But in that moment, the Bible says that we're suddenly finished, we're perfected, that God's done everything he's ever going to do in us and for us. Then what do we spend the rest of our life doing? Discipleship. We become learners. We discover 
what God did for us. We begin to unpack what God has packed in. We begin to discover, wait, wait a moment, he's changed this, so let me live in the change. That's discipleship. That's being a learner. Now, moving forward as family church, we want to be um, committed and remain committed to helping people have that initial encounter or, or discovery, conversion, salvation moment, new birth experience. But also we want to do better than we've ever done before in then helping that person to now grow and develop and to run the race that God's got for them and to know him like they've never believed they could ever know God before. Now, there's a key verse here that we need to understand that Jesus spoke in in, in Matthew 11. Um, Matthew 11, he says, he says these words, he says, come to me, learn of me. And there's two aspects there. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's anyone that doesn't currently know Christ. Burdened down, weighted down. Jesus said, here's the invitation. Come to me, everyone who's weary, tired, burdened down. And he said, boy, I'll give you rest, all right. But the very next statement that he makes, he says, come of me. And then he says, and learn of me. This is the aspect of discipleship, that we don't just come to him to find rest, but then we commit to walk with him and be learners. And as we learn of him, what we're being is the disciples that the Bible says that we should be. Do you know the name Christian is only used a handful of times in the Bible? And it was actually derogative in its origin. People would go, oh, there's those Christians, there's those mini Christs. But the word disciple is used over and over and over and over again. Why? God never called us to be converts. He called us to come through a doorway of salvation into a bigger experience called being learners, people that walk with Jesus, people that are ascending in God. That's what we mean by discipleship. Now, thank the Lord for our new birth experience. But what I'm saying is salvation or that new birth experience isn't the only step. It's the first step to an initial journey that a person can continue. In Family Church, we want to develop more than ever before a discipleship culture that helps those who have found salvation in Christ outwork what God's worked in, know him more, come into greater intimacy and actually discover what God has done and who he's made them to be in the incredible salvation he provided. Now, John 3 is a great discussion to understand that initial moment of salvation where Jesus is talking to the teacher of teachers. He wasn't just a teacher. He was a teacher of teachers and his name was Nicodemus. And he, and he said, you know, no one can get what God's got for them, what my father's got for them, unless they're born again, unless they experience a new birth experience. And Nicodemus turns around after hearing Jesus teach on new birth and says, how can these things do, be? How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus like, you're not getting this Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was trying to get his head round how one existence could be morphed into another experience. But what Jesus was speaking of was the death of an old experience and the brand new beginning of a brand new life. But then also a journeying 
with him to grow in that new life that's been given you. I love it when Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? And Jesus almost answers lovingly sarcastic, I believe. Aren't you the teacher of teachers? You see, Nicodemus wasn't just a teacher. The theology of Israel was based on what he said. He was a teacher of teachers, yet in the presence of Jesus, everything he thought to be true no longer made sense because an old covenant had been ended and the day of a new covenant was at hand. But Jesus says you must be born again, but then you're born to grow into. Now, we, we want to make sure in Family Church, as we begin to develop the culture of discipleship, that number one, people are born right. People are born correctly. We're not just rushing people to salvation, but we're helping them to understand the incredible moment of surrendering your life to Jesus, what that means and what that's going to cause in your world. But we want to bring people to a moment of new birth. We don't want to patch people up. We don't want to put a plaster on cancer. We want to help people to understand the end of one life and the beginning of a new life, which the Bible terms of a new creation. But then we want to help people better than we've ever done before, not with classrooms or with programs, but with real relationships, mentoring each other to bring out a discipleship in the culture of who we are. So salvation is the first step. It's not the final step. That's what I'm saying. It's a great step. But you see, the thief on the cross had a moment of conversion and salvation, but he went to heaven unchanged. He went to heaven saved, brand new, born again, righteous, justified, made holy by Jesus. But he'd not had the time to grow into all that God had done for him in that moment on the cross. Now, we want to make sure that we're having salvation moments in our lives and in the lives of other people. But we're not stopping there. We're not saying, well, the person prayed the prayer and lifted their hands. Come on, let's move on to the next person. But rather saying, no, that person has just started an epic, exciting journey of being a follower and a learner and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, in some ways, it's moving them now past ownership to letting God be Lord of all. Now, I wrote a book a while ago called God's Blueprint, and in a section in that, I wrote a chapter on discipleship. And I said, the parallel between being a disciple is found in what happens the moment after our lives become his. Now, in England, we've got worktops in our kitchens, and some people have uh, expensive worktops made of slate quarried in wells and oak chopped down in the finest forest. And uh, when you travel uh, travel to other countries, there's often people's worktops in their kitchens are just made of the most extreme wood or the incredible wood that was imported in from somewhere. Where for most of us in the United uh, Kingdom, our, our worktops, they look like wood, but they're actually chipboard. They're compacted sawdust. It's wood chips compacted together with resin. And it's got a nice veneer on it that makes it look like it's wood, makes it look like it's marble, but it's actually chipboard. When is this exposed? Normally the moment your washing machine floods, you suddenly understand that it's not wood, it's chipboard. Because chipboard is like the kiddie cereal shredded wheat. You add milk and it just goes to mush. That's what happens for many people when their kitchens are made of chipboard. The washing machine floods and suddenly 
their, their, their solid worktop suddenly turns into a mush as it sucks up the water from the washing machine. I'm sure you've all experienced that at least once, right? Now, what I'm trying to say is whether it's grain of wood or, or, or grain of, of marble or whether it's chipboard, no one's excluded. What we're talking about with discipleship is in the moment of salvation, in the moment of new birth, in that moment of conversion, a person gives their life to God and says, Lord, this worktop is now yours. But with discipleship, you see, what happens next is that person says, now, Lord, will you come into the chipboard of who I am and change what needs to be changed? When there's wrong thinking, change my wrong thinking. Where there's wrong agenda, where there's a wrong way of viewing something. Lord, I'm giving you access all areas to not polish the veneer of who I am for two hours on Sunday morning, but through my week of walking with you as a learner and a disciple, you get into the very grain of who I am and you change what needs to be changed. You enhance what needs to be enhanced and you bless what you've already blessed. We want to be a culture Family church coming out of lockdown, coming out of this unprecedented season, we want to have not a program or a momentary program or classroom on discipleship, but we want to develop in family church as well as being an outward looking people, a real culture of growing and learning who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. So, we, we want to be committed to helping people with the first step of finding Christ, but then also the steps that follow where they purpose. I don't want to be a church attender. I don't want to sit in a meeting once a week. I want my Mondays and my Tuesdays and my Wednesdays and my Thursdays and my Fridays and my Saturdays, not just my Sundays, to be impacted as the Holy Spirit begins to change me from within the chipboard of who I am, to be everything that God says he's already made me to be by placing me in Christ. Now, we need to understand that when people are born again, we don't want, I suppose another way of putting this is simply this, we don't want to get people born again and leave them in an incubator. We don't want to get people born again. We don't just want to be a church that has a great record for new births, though that's admirable. But we don't want to get people born again and then leave them in an incubator to remain babies or worse than that, leave them on the edge of the street unattended for. No, what we want to do better at in family church, we've done good at it, but we want to do better at is taking people from that moment when they've been born again to stepping into a very natural walk with God and each other that causes them to grow out of immaturity or new birth or beginnings into the fullness of what God's got for them. So we want to bring people through a journey, a journey that actually, again, when we read Matthew 28, includes baptisms. We don't want to make water baptism a bolt-on or an optional extra, we want to say, no, actually, baptism is a part of the initial first steps of discipleship that every person that's found Christ or received Christ needs to take. Now, I love it that in the Great Commission, it mentions baptism as a key part of what should happen in a person's life. It says that we're to, number one, go into all the world 
and make disciples. We've come that far on our series. But then the next statement that's made by Jesus is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it gets on to teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's kingdom life. That's how we're going to end our series with living kingdom life. But I want to just zoom in now. Okay, he's tell us to go. Our culture, we want to be an outward looking people. He's told us to be a discipleship making people, disciplers, making disciples, turning people from their moment of salvation into people that have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus for themselves, not just on Sundays, but every minute, every moment, every day, every week, every year. But then he says a key part of that is you bring them through baptism. Now, we understand that the word baptism could be singular, but I want to say baptisms today because we believe that the Bible speaks of two very, very important baptisms that should be a part of a person's discipleship. The moments when they're born again, we need to lead them to the waters of baptism, not just to get them wet. We need a revelation of what baptism represents. We need to help people to the moment after they find salvation in Jesus, have a moment provided where they can bury and say goodbye to who they were to enable them to say hello correctly to who now God has made them to be. One of the things I'm really, really getting excited about when we begin to gather again and begin to come together again is water baptisms. I want us to be baptising more people in water, whether it's down the seafront or whether it's in a swimming tank or a swimming pool in our our hall here at the Empower Centre. I want us to be baptising more people in water than we've ever done in the history of family church. Why? Because water baptism isn't an optional extra. It's something that actually Jesus sent his disciples to teach should follow a moment of a person's repentance. When a person's born again correctly, born again correctly, they're free to now grow. And when a person's baptised and they understand what's represented in baptism, they're not just getting wet. It's not like the ice bucket challenge where they pour water over their heads and then move on like nothing's happened. But rather they see water baptism as the moment that Romans 6 would introduce as their death, burial and resurrection to newness of life. I want to challenge you, if you've never studied water baptism or thought about the death, burial and resurrection that's represented in water baptism, I challenge you, here's your homework this week, read Romans 6 and when you read it, say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand Romans 6 like I've never understood it before. Because when you read Romans 6, you actually see the not just the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. But you see the believer's identification with his death. You see, you don't need to provide your own death. The father provided the death that was needed in his son for you. You identify in salvation with the death of Jesus and then get the benefits of the death that another provided. But when you read in Romans 6, it speaks of Jesus. Was, was, he died. He was buried. And then he rose to newness of life. But when we read Romans 6, we need to also say, thank you, Lord, that I died in you. 
Thank you, Lord, that I was buried in you. Your burial was the burial of my old man. And thank you, Lord, that just as you didn't stay dead, Jesus, I don't stay dead. But when I come out of a water of baptism and the water parts and the film of water that seals that tank or that ocean is broken as I come through, that's identification or representation of me breaking free from the captivity and slavery of everything and everyone who once held me to know a newness of life, not not in heaven, but here on earth as I follow you for the rest of my days. I am getting pumped about getting some water baptisms. I want to baptise, baptise, baptised. But to baptise, we need to be outward looking, going and getting people, bringing them through successfully the first step of salvation so that they understand the power of a new birth experience. But then we lead them from the moment of salvation through the baptism in water that Jesus said that we should provide for every person and the disciples modeled in their ministry. I want to read to you from the book of Acts because it kind of it's a one stop shop of what happens in those intro moments when a person finds Christ. Now, this is uh, Acts chapter two, and it's that epic moment where Peter's stood up and done that, 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 that incredible message. He's got up, remember the Holy Spirit's just fallen. Everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit. People are speaking languages they've never learned. The room couldn't hold them. They burst out onto the streets and suddenly they've got like an audience of like 3,000 people. Peter jumps to his feet, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times when he was living in his own ability. Suddenly he jumps to his feet. He preaches this incredible message that basically ends up with him pointing at the religious people going you killed him you killed him you're responsible for his death and they begin to cry out and uh, they begin to cry out what do we do to be saved what do we do to be saved in verse 37 it says when the people heard this they were cut to the heart of who they were and said to Peter and the other disciples brothers what shall we do listen to the answer that Peter gives Peter replied repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everything's included in that statement made by Peter that we need to understand when we're bringing someone from separation to God into being a part now of the family of God alive in him. It starts with, I've written a couple of notes here, it starts here with repentance and surrender. But we go into the world saying to people, repent. But I'm not talking of Old Testament repentance where they've got to mourn sorrowfully and go, oh, no, I'm the scum of the earth. What did I do? Woe is me. No, New Testament repentance, um, the word that was used by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul, didn't speak of mournful sorrowfulness. So there will be sorrow when you understand who you've been and you turn your life over to Christ. There will be an element of sorrowfulness. But the Bible speaks of repentance as the changing of the way that you think, the changing of your thoughts, that you stop thinking one way and you think another way. When we go to introduce people to Jesus, what we do is we give them an ability to change the way they think. And the Bible says in that moment, they bring their life to surrender under the Lordship of Christ. 
I said earlier on that we want to get people born again correctly. One of the errors I believe when a person doesn't get born again correctly is when they don't understand before they pray the prayer what the Lord is expecting from them. That he's not expecting a casual co-ownership, but he's actually expecting a person to surrender their life to his lordship, to change the way they think and surrender their life to his lordship and his kingship. I've seen it time and time again when you lead a person into that salvation moment and they understand that what they're doing now is they're allowing the Lord to kill their old life and bring their life to a new existence. And they come with a heart of surrender. Lord, do what you want to do. Have your way. God, be God in my life. Access all areas. What I've noticed is when a person comes with an understanding of surrender and repentance, they begin to grow wings almost immediately and begin to fly in their relationship with God. But on the opposite, when a, or in the contrary, when a person comes to the Lord and they're like, all right, yeah, I'm just going to stick my hand up and don't really know what that means. I'm just going to stick my hand up and uh, yeah, all right, Jesus, be my Lord and Saviour. Often what follows is like a, a struggle. It's like they've been born prematurely. It's like they um, are not quite born in the wholeness of how a baby should be born. So what we want to be doing in the message that we're preaching in family church, not just when we're gathered, but when we're out and about, is helping people to come through a correct salvation moment that's filled with repentance, but also surrender. And then they come into this death and new beginning moment that Romans 6 speaks of, that suddenly they understand that when they receive Christ, there's an identification in that moment that causes who they were, the old creation, to die. It's not a coexistence between who you were, even though it can feel like that sometimes, it's really not. Who you were died, and who God says you now are, who he made you to be, takes his first breath. So in that moment of salvation, a person dies. But hey, if somebody's died, you need a funeral to do away with the body of who they once were. And that's what water baptism is. It's a moment when you stand in water, water representing the grave, and you say, thank you, Lord, that I called on your name and you saved me like you promised you would. Lord, I submit to your lordship, your rule and reign in my life. Thank you that when I enter the waters of baptism, water baptism, what it represents is the burial of the old man, the burial of the old man that was crucified with Christ. Again, you can read that in Romans 6. It says that the old man, the old us, was, not will be, was crucified with Christ. Water baptism is where we gather around and we bury the old man so that we're not carrying him around, weighing ourselves down with him in the future that we step into. And when a person comes out of that moment of water baptism, I really believe the Holy Spirit meets them in that moment. When they go into the waters of baptism, understanding what it represents, the Holy Spirit, I've seen it too many times, I've seen smokers come out non smokers. I've seen addicts come out non-addicted. I've seen people that were fear-bound come out totally released from fears. There's a supernatural moment that happens in a natural encounter with everyday water where a person walks away from the person that they were that now at the foot of the cross to be the person now, the disciple and the learner that God's caused them to be. All right, let's bring this into a landing. The good thing is it's not just about death, it's also about newness of life. 
Now, when he raises you out of that baptism moment, remember, repent and be baptized. When we come out of that moment of baptism, we've got a brand new life. The Bible says that he's completely justified us. He's made that which is unholy, holy. He's made that which is, we did nothing, but he did everything. We enter in at salvation to the finished work of what he completed. Just like when he made Adam and Eve. Notice when he made Adam and Eve, he didn't make them on day three and say, could you help me out a little bit? But rather he completed everything that was needed and then he made Adam and Eve and positioned them in his finished work. That's a parallel and a type of shadow of what we experience now in Christ. God didn't need our help. When we get involved, we always ruin everything. No, he, through what he did in his son, caused us to be made holy, made righteous, justified, to be able to experience a new birth, new creation moment. And then he brought us and positioned us in to what he'd already completed in Christ. Isn't that exciting? That's a great gospel message. Not that's based on our performance or our works, but on what we receive from him by faith. Now, we understand again in Romans 6, there's the identification that we die in him. His death becomes our death. So how can a dead man keep walking? See, the problem with a lot of modern Christianity is there's too many Christian zombies out there. They're not fully alive because they've not fully died. What we want to do in those initial steps of discipleship is help people to understand what just happened in that moment of salvation. That the old them just died. The old them just passed away. Remember what Paul taught in Second Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, old things have passed away. Old is gone. New is present. All things become new. We want to help people to believe and understand that in that moment, when they've encountered Jesus and they've given their life to Jesus in that moment who they were is no more they've been born to newness of life justified made holy made righteous all by his doing so where does discipleship come in now we take them from that moment and begin to walk them into an understanding of everything that God has done for them everything that God has intended for them. That's discipleship. We don't want to make discipleship in family church something that happens in a classroom. We don't want to limit discipleship in family church to an online Zoom meeting where we go through a manual together. We want discipleship to be something that's cultural to who we are, that those who know Jesus and walk with Jesus are helping others to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. Those who have walked along a journey with Jesus, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 10 months, 20 months, and now reaching back to those who are finding Christ on their first day, saying, we're not going to leave you in the incubator. You've come to him. You found his rest. Now let's let you learn of him. So I'm excited about baptisms. The Great Commission says that we're to, we're to go into all the world. We're to, we're to make disciples, baptizing people. But like I said, I don't believe in one baptism. I believe the Bible speaks of two. You can read in Acts 19 where Paul is speaking to a person had only ever heard of one baptism, which was a salvation experience uh, that was called a baptism of John. But Paul turns around and says, no, 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 no. It's better than that. He hasn't just provided one baptism for the removal and the death of who you were. He's provided another baptism so that you can be filled with him, filled with his Holy Spirit filled with his ability. Remember what the message of, of Peter was in second uh, in the book of Acts chapter 2. He said, repent and be baptized so that the Holy Spirit can come. The gift 
of the Holy Spirit can come from the Father into your life. I'm so glad that the plan of God for my salvation and your salvation wasn't just to cause me to be born again, to cause me to go through a death experience, to receive a newness of life, but also to then feel the newness of life that he's given me, to to feel the new life that he's given me with his own spirit and with his ability so that I don't go back and revert to who I was, but I begin to walk in newness of life, in possession of the new life that he gave me in Christ, with a new heart, a new spirit, able to say no to things I couldn't say no to before, able to say yes to things I couldn't say yes to before, able to walk away from things that held me in bondage, free and free indeed. So I'm excited, I'm sure that you can tell, that as we're coming out of lockdown, we've got marching orders. People are saying to me, do you know what what God wants to do next in the church? Absolutely. He wants us to be focused and looking at the culture of who we are to make sure that in everything we do, we're found to be outward looking, but also disciple making. I'm going to end there and we're going to carry on with part two of Uh, make disciples next week. If you're watching today and you've never had that moment of encounter, if you're watching today and you've never given your life to Jesus, one prayer is all it takes. It says that you're to repent and believe on him. You're to repent and believe in him. You're able to say, Lord, I'm going to change the way I think about you. I want you. Lord, I'm going to bring my life to surrender to you today, that you can take my life and make it more than I ever believed it could be. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And when I say amen at the end, if you've never received Jesus, as your Lord and Saviour, or you've been away from God and you want to come back to God in strength and in power, in reality today, not token prayers, real things really happening. When you say amen, I believe heaven's going to meet with your life and things are going to change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us and as us. But when we see Jesus dying on the cross, we see the death that we deserved happening in the life of another. When we see him buried in a tomb, we see our old man packed away, never to disturb us again. And when we see him rise on the third day to newness of life, that was your plan and intention for us when we placed faith in your son. Thank you that in this moment where we receive you, Jesus, and we acknowledge what you did on the cross for us, new birth begins and discipleship commences. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm so excited. Why don't you contact me at Andy at family.church and let me know you prayed that prayer. Listen, I pray that you have an amazing week and we're going to gather same time next week and continue to unpack what does discipleship look like in our lives and in our church. God bless.